Justin Peterson. And I'm Brian Lee. Welcome to the Voice Culture Podcast, where we traverse the rich historical legacy of voice training from the greatest minds and teachers of the art. Each episode features lively conversation, fascinating historical insights, and practical application for today's singer. Hey, Justin. Howdy. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Just fine. I can't wait to talk about today's thing. You want to announce it? Power. Power? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow. Power. (laughs) I feel the power. It's all about power, Brian. Power dynamics. Are you on a power trip, Justin? Everything everything is power. Well, I wish I was on a power trip. (laughs) I wish I had the power, Brian. I have the power. We know He-Man has the power. So that's his famous... Quote, Mr. He-Man. Yeah, power. All right. And powers, abuse, and abuse. And uh, uh, what? Use and abuse, right? Um, for, it comes to mind, I, I think about this quote. I don't think it's Richard Miller's quote, but I remember in one of his books, when he was talking about power, he said, power either builds or destroys. Hmm. And I yep. think that's sort of the frame of what we're going to talk about today, is just that idea that how power is used is the, is the secret so what are some, I have a feeling it's going to be multifaceted, but what are some definitions of power that, that we're going to talk about today? Is it how loud someone sings or mm-hmm. what? Okay. Mm-hmm. Great. I, I read a really funny, there's a, a, not funny, it's not funny, but interesting uh, book several years ago when I was, maybe 2006, uh, it was called The Twilight of Bel Canto, and it was written by a man named, I, I believe his name is Fernando Champa, Champa. He lives here in, in uh Massachusetts, I believe. Huh. Uh, yeah. Really cool guy. Really cool book. A uh, lot of uh, talking about Virginia Zayani, right? Oh. Um, mm-hmm. But he had an analogy in that book that I thought was really interesting, uh, comparing it to organs, like pipe organs, where people, like a lay audience, let's say, who goes into a church and hears a pipe organ is going to be so much more, let's say, astonished by the loud organ that's really rumbly and, you know, just vociferous. Yeah. Versus a very finely tuned uh, and balanced organ because of the way people hear and how we listen to things. Uh, And it always, always struck me because it was like this search for loudness, which is so much at the forefront, at least I feel like in a classical sense, right? I mean, because obviously... We have to sing over the orchestra, but I always feel like there's, I always feel like there's some sort of a character assassination that's connected to that. Like you're not a singer if you can't sing over the orchestra, it just always drives me a little bit bonkers. Um, Or like that, that's the sine qua non. That's the only thing that's important is to be heard. Yeah. I'm like, well, there's lots of sounds I hear that I don't like (laughs) in daily life. Right. You know, sirens, dogs, barking, you know. Yeah. so I, I just thought that that was really interesting in, in how rudimentary and, and uh, our experience of a sound is on a very primitive level that we hear something loud and we go, oh, that's good because it's loud. Yeah. Yeah, the size of the impression seems to be interpreted as the quality of the impression. Right, right. Yeah. And the value is in the size. I mean, it's, is it Freudian? 
can we just say it's Freudian? Boy, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Preoccupation with size. Modern, if it's cultural, if it's human. Yeah. If it's bigger is better. Primitive. Vocal size queens. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, yeah, I just, I think about that a lot. And then I think it's unfortunate that that seems to be the goal, I think, for a lot of singers. Yeah. Is loudness above all things, you know? I, you know, I, I'm thinking about how in the different genres, um, how this might manifest. And I don't know if we do, we, if we want to mix up talking about uh, amplified styles along with mm-hmm. unamplified, i.e. so-called classical. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we say a voice is powerful, I think it's fair to assume it's perceived as loud. Yes. I mean, I'm thinking of like when when a uh, a popular style singer makes a recording, um, what we perceive as powerful in their singing, we usually assume they're singing loudly, which right. really is a pretty uh, risky assumption. Totally, I, because did you ever it's see all that? about yeah. mixing and and totally. miking yes. and yes, sound did quality. You... Yes. Did you ever see that video of the Broadway singers off mic? Yes. And I was, uh, yes. Ooh, that was It's interesting. really interesting. Yeah. Showing, yeah. showing some of the auditions, like, uh, you know, they, uh, that's, that's real interesting uh, seeing, um, like pirate videos of, of Broadway auditions. Cause they're mm-hmm. usually done in some rented medium sized room with a piano and, right, right, right. and you hear how loud they aren't. They aren't. <laughs> Yeah. Right, yeah. right. You're yeah. like, what? And then they juxtapose it by putting them next to a, a recording of them from the cast album. Mm-hmm. Right. And I I know that a lot of teachers who do musical theater, we're, we're always talking to our kids about, don't trust these things. Because yeah. you're hearing not the real article. You're not hearing the genuine article. And I would argue we're really never hearing the genuine article when we're listening to recordings anyway. Right. Uh, it's not there. Um, yeah. Those people are not there. So yeah. we really don't get a good sense of the... Of the of the size, right, of the voice. Mm-hmm. But it's dangerous because those mics are so closely pl- placed to those people's voices and mouths yep. that the singer, young young singer, gets a sort of a false impression of how big that voice is. And then they try to emulate that or, or imitate that and get into all kinds of trouble because what's happening, as you said, is not really what's coming by the singer's effort but by the studio engineer's efforts. Yeah. Uh, it's... Uh... It's uncanny, too, sometimes how some students are so good at imitating sounds that they actually do a pretty good mm-hmm. imitation of a mixed sound. Or they, mm-hmm. they even do great imitations of auto-tune. It's, oh, uh, yes. I've, I've heard kids do that. Do that and yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. wow. Yeah, it's <laughs> you really took cool. You took it to a new level. Yeah, it's and, really cool. And, um, and I said, so, so it's really fun to talk with them about how the original singer didn't do that. You know, right. the, the singer they're hearing, who they're emulating, doesn't sing that way. And uh, there is some really great, uh, um, I always talk about Beyonce a lot because she's someone I have obsessed over Are you before. obsessed, Brian? Well, a little <laughs> bit. Uh, but she, there's some really cool stuff of her singing, like, just for friends and totally acapella in, like, living rooms and things like that. And it's just really wonderful to hear that human voice coming out of her 
Mm-hmm. And and you see how um, she has had excellent sound engineers to totally optimize her recordings. I mean, you know, she's she's a, an amazing artist and and uh, hard hard worker, and 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 her team works very hard to you know achieve that pop perfection. I uh, if, that's my phrase for it. I'm an old geezer. Sorry, uh, but but. Uh, that's not to take anything away from it, but it, there's a whole bunch of singers I would love to hear off mic. I'd like to really hear how they sound raw and unprocessed and and also how they would just sound in a room if we were just singing together. Cause, um, you had an experience of live experience of Christine Ebersole, didn't you, where you saw her live in D.C.? No. You didn't see her? Really? Wasn't you? I don't think so. She we, did a big benefit, and it was just like she sang everybody under the table. If that, it, it, we may have to, this may be a place where I edit this because I may be having a senior moment. Okay. How long ago? I like it two years, two or three years ago. Hmm. You had you'd gone out to something at Washington Opera, maybe. And it was like a bunch of big heavy hitter opera singers, and she was there. Like yes, I did not actually attend that. Right, oh, I remember didn't. that. So, yes, because I remember the ads for it. I was thinking, okay, Washington National Opera is trying to stir up business by featuring a Broadway singer. Right. And and an I thought that's kind of a terrific singer. Yeah. And to Oof. to kind of shore up a program that may possibly have lesser singers, but who happen to sing opera. <laughs> is how it looked to me. I mean, it's mm. just very weird to try to sell opera with Broadway. I just yeah. thought that was strange. Um, but no, I did not get to go to that. No. But that's not an amplified voice that's phenomenal. Oh, right? cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just what she does is yeah. just... Yeah. And you know, well, I, your, your Beyonce is my Christine Ebersole. Well, that. and <laughs> you know what? A great series uh, on YouTube where you can hear some more of these folks... Uh, Oh, naturel is uh, Seth Rudesky's channel. Oh, he's fabulous because he does he does little and he loves uh, the voice per se. So he will have people come in and if they have something they do particularly well vocally, mm. he he plays the piano for them while they sing and it's totally you know unprocessed and real. Yeah, and, yeah, in the moment. Yeah, and you hear hear how that voice um, sounds against a piano in a smallish medium room. Um, it's just a whole different way to hear people and, and realize that there's a real human voice there that, that uh, you know, may not actually be coming out of their mouth at 110 decibels. <laughs> the airplanes are taking off. They yeah. 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 So I, I feel like loudness, loud, let's talk about loudness. Yeah. Like what's, what's the role of loudness in training a voice? Mm. That's great. At least for question. you. Like how do you think about that? Well, certainly um louder vocalization uh helps strengthen the chest elements of the sound. Mm-hmm. And I don't worry about loudness per se early in training. I usually use terms like if I want more sound from a singer or want them to explore something more, I'll say louder, mm-hmm. um, stronger, mm-hmm. 
can we try a little more sound at the beginning of that arpeggio? Mm. Um, but I never convey loud as a value. I never say, well, you're kind of a meek singer. We need to get you louder, you know, or, um, and with some real blatant singers, I never say you're too loud. That's annoying. <laughs> uh, either. I, I try to, you know, if, if I feel like they would benefit from reining in, I'll say, let's try singing it really easy. Or let's try it really chill and yeah. see what happens. Or let's try. I try not to put values on the loud and soft elements, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even if that's what I'm trying to elicit in a certain song or exercise right. from certain people. Yeah. So so I don't approach. Lo- they all want to sing loud. So that's yeah. that's going to come. You know, they're going to pick pieces that have big moments in them that they want to sing. And uh, as those, uh, you know, as that rep comes up, then, you know, we see how, how, how it goes from there. Um, and sometimes you have to have the come to Jesus about, well, your voice may not qu- be quite ready for you to sing that song the way you're envisioning it in terms of overwhelming power. Mm. Um, or so the song either needs a new approach or they shouldn't do the song yet or, or it's something they can work toward. Um, making power happen in a different way than they did before. And that's pretty exciting when people can learn how to do more with less effort. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I guess I'm, yeah, the same way. I, I think power is something we need to have, but it also has to be balanced by its opposite. Yeah. Right? Uh, at least yeah. for me. Um, mm-hmm. And I know there are a lot of pedagogies that are really big on volume, like very volume-oriented and, you know, make the big sound and da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. Um, I think about our, our guy Herbert Witherspoon, you know, mm-hmm. in his his book Singing, said in the chapter where he starts to get into the exercises and things, he says, power is the last thing to put in a voice. Yeah. And I thought that was a really interesting remark. So to me, it speaks to things like, oh, I don't know, phonation, breathing, registration, all those things kind of get put into the voice and balanced. And then volume can be sort of built because the, the, the instrument's balanced or has been functionally sort of balanced. Yeah. And then you can add, I always talk about the, my analogies are always like a seven layer cake. I always talk about seven layer cakes. Uh, I'm not hungry. Uh, um, <laughs> when it comes to building things, it's like layer by layer by layer by layer, right? And I think that goes for volume uh, or power. Yeah. Per se. And um, the building of that comes in incremental ways. Uh, because there's a quote, oh, I can't remember who said it, but it's, it's, it's very hard. Maybe it was Sir Henry Wood. Ah, I'm going to say it's him. Where singers are very often not aware of where push comes into the voice. Where the sound becomes pushed. Mm-hmm. That, that border of where things are really now just... Full on forced mm-hmm. uh, because of our kinesthetic sense as singers. So sure. Deceptive. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but. And some singers have a constitution that will allow them yes. to sing quite forcefully for long yes. periods of time. And, and it does not harm them, at least at first. And uh, no. if they're able to do that, you know, for, for a long period of time, 
that, you know, they may never have the thought, oh, this is too much. Right, right. And I guess I just feel like, for me, I know we will go around the mill on this a million times, but I think that's, again, where the value of the Masa de Voce rests. Oh, yeah. Because that is the ultimate dis- decider of where your balances are, as far as I'm concerned, in, mm-hmm. terms, of, in terms of power and softness. Yeah. Because it, it's both ends of the spectrum. And yeah. if the volume of the Messa di Voce at its height pushes, let's say, let's say in the, in, the, in the singing of a phrase of music, you sing in a loud way that doesn't match the apex of your Messa di Voce, you're pushing. Yeah. You're pushing because the fullness of your Messa di Voce should be the fullness of your phrases. Yeah. If you're singing a fully, you know, let's say, orbed dramatic phrase or something. Right. And like you say, with you talk about this potentiality of movement, the ability to have a, a soft or a loud tone, excuse me, become softer at any moment. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Is functionally, that's not aesthetic. That's just human skill. Yeah. To be able to do that with devoid of style, but that the instrument can swell and diminish is a classic sort of skill that's been valued in singing for hundreds of years so i feel like the message yep. voce can be a really great way to test where the border is of loud yeah and it's really an efficient way i mean people think oh my god it's such a basic naked rudimentary exercise but so many of the printed singing books what they call singing methods seem to always have a C scale up to G, a 12th, C, D, E, F, G, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Those 12 notes, uh, whole notes, and soft, loud, soft. You know, just checking in with that every day uh, doesn't take a ton of time, and it tells you so much about where you're at technically. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of awesome how simple it is, mm. um, but not easy to do. No, it's it's almost <laughs> deceptively simple on paper. Yeah. And yet its application is very difficult. Yeah. To truly master it is very difficult. But I right. think all styles should should use it. It's a great exercise. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It just really it just is, it's a great diagnostic for what's mm-hmm. going on, you know. Uh I think Tiza Ingo Tiza says in his five favorite warm-ups. It's one of his five favorite warm-ups. Mhm. And he says that it is an exercise that brings into play all of the internal laryngeal musculature for singing. I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, I can see that totally. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, we'll so, be talking about that itself, the Mesa di Voce. We'll be oh, talking yeah. about in, I'm sure, multiple oh, episodes yeah. over time. We'll just be like, remember that time we talked about Mesa di Voce? Oh, yeah, yeah, like, like every time. Like every time? <laughs> You're like, well, we'll get people will get a drinking game going where they're like, oh, my God, they said take a shot. Yeah. Yeah. Take we're, a shot. We're going to have a very drunk following if that yes, happens. I'm, hey, I'm all about it. I'm gonna, yeah. That's, that's, yeah. It's a good idea. These are my people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. These are my people. Yeah. No, I, I you know, the, the, the loudness. I, I was reading about loudness uh, to kind of get ready for us to talk about it. Mm-hmm. People have always wanted to be loud. Sure. People have always wanted to be loud. I was reading about Greek actors in the theater who would scratch the back of their throats with stones and rocks to to develop scar tissue because they thought it helped them to get a louder, more resonant voice. Wow. So they would literally cut the back of their throats 
to get what they felt was more size of sound. Wild. I'm like, wow. Isn't that wild? These are yeah. Greek theater performers yeah. who were always searching for more sound, more volume, which is fascinating when you think about how well-constructed those Greek amphitheaters were, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of acoustics. I mean, really. Yeah, incredible. some of them were amazing. I, I've been to a couple of them, and, yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing how they figured out how to, how to make a place that would project sound. I kind of wonder, like, the, the one I really remember was um, at Ephesus, Turkey, that I went to, and I wondered how quiet was the audience. Like, and I mm. wondered if if that environment also amplified the audience. You know, the rustling and the coughing yes. and the the you know burps and whispers and whatever. Uh, but yeah. I also did you know that there were? I believe I'm gonna I'm gonna mess this up, but there used to be metal or some kinds of of pots or or uh oh i wish i didn't i have to look the name of this up but it's they um, would put these pots in the walls of these theaters and certain frequencies would cause those pots to sort of vibrate sympathetically so it would get like this bonus uh acoustic bump yeah interesting Mm -mm -mm. i should look let me look at that wow cool while you're looking that up i would like to uh uh read a small section from Cornelius Reed's book Bel Canto where he talks about something that comes up in classical discussions of voice a lot loud versus big tone Mm, mm. Uh, in any discussion of tonal volume a very real distinction should always be made between a big tone or one that is well resonated and a loud tone which is nothing but noise Loud singing is both inartistic and injurious to the voice and is to be avoided at all costs. A big tone is the very essence of musical quality and indicates that the tone is being well resonated. Mm. As a sound phenomenon, the two are direct opposites, both as to cause and effect. And he goes on to talk more about, you know, the difference. But um, the idea in classical, especially when we're talking about making a sound more powerful without a microphone, uh, we get into this concept of resonance. Um, And, uh, you know, on a physiological level, resonance is about, um, well, first of all, the the vocal folds have to be working properly, but Mm -hmm. given that they are and that they're coming together well and vibrating well, the shape of the vocal tract from the vocal folds all the way out to the lips is of huge importance in how resonant the tone is and and it makes a big difference how the singer is built and what the singer is conceiving of and the kind of feedback they're getting through their own ears uh, both from the inside through their bones and from the outside their sound bouncing off the walls it is a fascinating, mega complex thing to start talking about resonance. Mm. And I guess that's one of the reasons why Cornelius Reed says that sort of the building of resonance needs to come later in training. Because mm-hmm. you can really get in some trouble trying to make resonance happen. Oh, boy. Well, and there's, and I think Reed and our several other pedagogues yeah. that are currently in the, in the world 
think that resonance is a byproduct. Yes. Right. It's it's confusing cause and effect. Yeah. And I mean, so there's like there are conversations going on about the interrelationship between the resonator and the vibrator and how they communicate with each other. Yes. Right? So there's an right. intercommunication there. So we don't want to be like, no, no, that's not true. But I, I, as a person who had vocal difficulties, know that when my voice went south, I knew it was in my folds. I knew it was in my throat. Mm-hmm. So, you know. So it, no it, amount it, of resonance training was going to fix No that. amount of resonance was going to fix what was going wrong in my folds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, period. Full stop. Um, I could do resonance till I'm blue in the face and mm-hmm. it wasn't going to fix the, the source of the sound. Yeah. Um, and one of our, uh, one of our colleagues in the teaching field says, you know, you can't resonate anything. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do resonance, right? It's not a doing. It's something that right. happens. Right. You know, a um, thing that happens. Yeah. It's a thing. It's what it has its own thing in the name. Resonance. Re again. Sonance. Sound. Yeah. Resound. Yeah. So, you know, we, we got to fix this, the sonance before we can have the resonance. The re, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And yeah. what are you re-soning? You know what I mean? What are you yeah. re-soning? You know, is it worthy? You know, I think who did it? So who said that one to me? A teacher one time said, you know, well, yes, but what are you resonating? Is, is yeah. what you, are you resonating the good things or bad things? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like what's happening in that case, you know, in that case. So, you know, yeah. Resonance. That's yeah. a whole other thing, you know, because the light little color to a soprano can be heard just as well as the baritone or the bass in the opera houses. Yeah, right. Uh, it, it, this whole thing about what carries is what carries is what makes power or is mm. it sheer decibels that makes power? Right. Or what the right. heck is it? I found out the name of that, that uh, thing in the Greek theaters. It's called uh, an acoustic jar. Oh, interesting. It is a pot, chamber, or vessel that is similar in function to a modern-day bass trap. Oh, yeah. They were supposedly used in ancient Greek theaters to enhance the voices of performers through resonance. Though no archaeological evidence has been found, they were typically made of bronze, but they were also made of earthenware for economic reasons. Yeah, and they're mentioned by Vitruvius Vitruvius in his Ten Books on Architecture. Uh, he talks about them being made of bronze, designed specifically for each unique theater. They were then placed in niches between the theater seats, specifically so that nothing was touching them. They used mathematical calculations to decide where they should be placed. They should be set upside down and be supported on the side facing the stage by wedges not less than half a foot high. So they would... Begin to with certain actors' voices, I guess, and so maybe actors of the Greek theater were working to find the resonances of the space. That Can they were you imagine? In. I'm just picturing an actor like finding a place where he gets a resonance, and then he starts talking in Sprechstimme, <laughs> you know, like four score and seven years ago, our <laughs> founding fathers. And the audience gets goosebumps. Right. No, but you know what it makes me think of is that I know many great opera singers who will work the stage to find out where the great best resonances are in the theater. Sure. They sort of find where the sweet spots are and, and what the set is made up of. You mm-hmm. know, is the set made up of uh, fabric? Is the set made up of wood? Yeah. You know, what's, what's the material like? I was like, wow, those, those, are, those singers are cool. Because yeah. they're really thinking about their uh, ability to make the sound go out into the space. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, acoustic jars. 
And I that, think I'm going to have to look that up. I want to. Yeah. I'd love to see a, a, a drawing of of how that was designed, like how far apart they were, and mm. that that'd be interesting to see an, a rendering of uh, of how those jars were placed. That's really interesting. They have them in churches too. Wow. Some churches that would have these acoustic jars. They look like pipes, or like open pipes oh. in, the, in the churches. Wow. And they just are set to resonate at a particular frequency. Wild. Isn't that funny? Yeah. yeah. Uh, we always think we're so cool, Brian. <laughs> I know, right? In our modern stuff. Yeah. We're like, oh, look how cool we People were doing cool stuff hundreds of years ago. Oh, yeah. We're There's not the first ones on the planet. So much uh, so much creativity and, and uh, solving a problem with... Uh, Technology at hand. At hand, exactly. Yeah. And doing it quite well. So I think that's pretty fabulous. So uh, I wanted to share this big old, it's not a big old quote, but it's from uh, William Henry Zay, who wrote this really fun book called Practical Psychology of Voice and of Life. Like, you know, you got to cover both bases. <laughs> you need to have voice, psychology, life. It's all, it's all, it's like what? The self- Those are sort of the pillars life? of my existence. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So I, I like this guy. I think his writing is great. His book is uh, really great too. Um, it's almost like every chapter or whatever is like a particular piece of advice. And uh, oh, nice. It's, it's a really cool thing. I like so, reading it. Yeah, hit me. So here's his little thing about bigness and big voice. Most of the rank and file of the singing profession are fairly obsessed by the desire to cultivate a big voice. This obsession is a demon destroyer of voices. It makes so many singers force their voices and shout, and the result is that first the quality of the voice is spoiled, and then the voice is ruined entirely. A powerful voice is a grand instrument, and the possessor of one is most fortunate. But loudness alone will not make anyone a success. So why should so much thought be given to power and the possessor of a loud voice so much envied? As well might a violin envy the trombone. (laughs) The worst of the average striving after power is that after a short period of loudness and shouting, the voice, if not ruined, loses what power it had, simply becoming dull and dead. Mm Mm-hmm. Power is a legitimate ambition. Everyone rightly wants to develop the voice to its maximum power of dramatic expression. But it's worse than useless to expect the voice to express more grandeur than the individual possessing it can feel. True, Mm. we frequently hear loud, powerful voices with no grandeur in them. But if the possessor of a voice of average size wishes to add to his power, he must accomplish this by the addition of grandeur. Wow, that's a great point. It's almost it reminds me of acting and the idea of good acting versus indicating. Mm-hmm. I guess singing beyond your ability to feel and project grandeur. Yes. It's kind of indicating, you know, it's right. indicating, okay, this is, I'm going to be big and loud now. Right, right. P- please, please believe me. Right, right, right. Right, the mouse that roared. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here's his solution. Consequently, thought must be concentrated on what might be termed a legitimate obsession, and that is to develop a big spirit. Wow. That, wow, what an interesting angle. I love it. Breathing and thought are the means, and as the spirit grows more expansive, the body responds and becomes stronger, and that means that the voice becomes more powerful. 
The voice must never be forced beyond its natural resonance, but the amplification of the various powers, bodily strength and resonance, brings the voice to its maximum power. Loudness of tone must never be the dominating thought, but greatness of spirit. And as stated before in this book, the voice will be found to be big enough to express any emotion felt by the singer, however great it is. His fame will then rest on being a big artist rather than on the possession of a big voice. Wow, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. I'm thinking about how certain opera singers I've met totally fill up a room whether they make a sound or not <laughs> because they are they're big they're just they're big. big personalities yeah 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 that's really an interesting angle well and big people i mean i find that you know opera people are big large people yeah well of yeah, spirit fi- of, of physical you know yeah. physically large yeah. vocally large uh, personality large mm-hmm. they're wonderful people i love my opera people you know? There's no people. Like I mean, opera they're, people. they're great. They are <laughs> loving. I mean, in most in most of my circles, they're wonderful. You know, they're just mm-hmm. big people. They have big feelings. They're just yeah, mm-hmm. they're great. So, cultivating that as a teacher is important. How do we do it, Brian? Mm. How do you cultivate a big spirit in a student? Well, I encourage them to have lives, but I sort of do it in a geezerly way. You know, I say. <laughs> Like, you know, y'all need to get off your phone and actually like Oof. fall in love and, you know, kiss somebody and, yeah. and you know, go hiking in the mountains. And you need to, like, get out in the world a little bit. Yeah. P- please. Well, and, and I mean, it's interesting, too, that many of the great teachers of the past also had their students reading poetry. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, connecting with beautiful prose, connecting with beautiful thoughts, beautiful uh, philosophies of life. Yeah. You know, that that can be a great way to expand one's care. We don't talk about that in voice teaching, Brian. We don't no. talk about that in voice teaching. We sure don't. I I'm guilty. I mean, how do you how do you make a spirit bigger? How do you how do you infuse inspiration inspiration, excuse me, into a young artist? Yeah. Poetry, art, culture, um, music, p- philosophy. Mhm. It's a it's a liberal arts education. Yeah. Well, when it I, I will say in my feeble defense that when it comes time for the repertoire part of working with students, I try, I, I, I'm not scared to show my excitement mm. about the material, you know, to be excited about what this phrase means. Think yeah. about what this, the, you know, this, this poet wrote it this way. Why, why did she choose those words there? And why do you, What's the most important part of the marriage of the of the notes in the text, mm. you know, and and to to sort of model excitement because I do get really excited about teaching pieces as well yeah. as teaching voice and uh, um, constantly cross linking it, you know. Like, we want to learn how to be vocal athletes because <laughs> right. we can do exciting things with music. Right. Well, and we have something to say. I mean, what's yeah. the purpose of all of this technical yeah. development if the person has nothing to say yeah. at the end of the day? Right. I'm like, I just want people to, you know, 
I'm a big fan of mystical experiences. Sure. <laughs> oh, wow. Every, Music is so... And everybody has their way of getting them. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I am a big person who finds nighttime moon experiences to be very mystical. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, um, some cathedrals and some, you know, Gregorian chant or anything that sort of, again, connects to that bigness of spirit. And mm-hmm. letting the music come from you out of that. I mean, isn't it really to sing a, an appreciation for being alive? I mean, yeah. to experience the joy of living and uh, celebrate one's existence just for being here. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. The, the, the dawn and the, and the evening and the nighttime and the summers and the spring. Transmuting that, the uh, sorrows along with celebrating the joys. Exactly. It, it, that's, that's, that's the alchemy we get to practice yeah. with music. It's incredible. Yeah. Oh, those are values I think we want to hang on to as singers and teachers of singing. What a great point, though, that the ability to know those things and feel those things and enlarge your spirit will enlarge your voice. That totally makes sense. Yeah. At some point, we're going to talk about um, Khan's book on music. Uh, Inayat Khan, who wrote what Edward Foreman thinks is one of the great texts on singing ever written. Oh, yeah. Uh, Is there just one or are there two books? I I have one, but I don't think I have the one you recommended. There's um, uh, great. Well, let me know that that'll be like a book report assignment term paper that I will need to complete before we talk about it. But definitely would love to. Yeah, it's the first name something like Iliot or something like that. It's um, Iniot. Iniot. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's uh, Iniot Khan, mm-hmm. uh, who was a um, a Sufi. He was a Sufi. What? He was a founder of the Sufi order. Oh, okay. In 1914. Yeah, and that's and the it, mystical one of the mystical mm-hmm. parts of Islam, right? Yep. yep. Yeah. And uh, it's it's his stuff is amazing. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. Um, the, here's his, just the opening. Here's the opening. The voice is not only indicative of man's character, but it is the expression of his spirit. Talking about big spirit earlier. The voice is not only audible, but also visible to those who can see it. The voice makes impressions on the ethereal sphere, impressions which can be called audible at the same time they are visible. Those scientists who have made experiments with sound and who have taken impressions of the sound on certain plates, which appear, uh, which impressions appear like forms, will find one day that the impression of the voice is more living, more deep, and has a greater effect. Sound can be louder than the voice, but sound cannot be more living than the voice. Hmm. Now just meditate on that. <laughs> Ooh. Wow. Yeah. Knowing that this is the Hindus of ancient times said that singing is the first art, playing the second art, and dancing, the third art, which make music. The Hindus who have found that by these three different aspects of music, one attains to spirituality much sooner than by any other way, have discovered that the shortest way to attain spiritual heights is by singing. Therefore, wow. the greatest prophets of the Hindus were singers, Narada and Tumbara. Narada inspired Valmiki, who wrote the Ramayana and the Mahabharata, the great Hindu scriptures. Oh, yeah. Wow. You know, as you were saying that, it made me want to blurt out one other aspect, which we could probably riff on forever and have way too long an episode, but about (laughs) 
a singer singing a song in a way that creates a powerful experience. Mm. Like, so that you're bowled over by a song. So I would say that song is, was done powerfully yeah. if it, if it, if it creates a big emotion in the listener, regardless of how loud, loud. it was, how powerful mm-hmm. the voice was on a physical level. Um, well, you're there, touching what the Italians talked about when they said that the aim of singing was to muovere gli affetti, to uh, move yeah. the affectations, the affects, the emotions, move the feelings of the listener, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. make them feel something. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, loudness will make you feel something, but it's sort of a surface-level feeling of something rather than a profound experience of something. You know, that that is a value of music-making that totally transcends genders, genders, <laughs> genres. Yes, and genders too. Well, genders also, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I th- like, you know, any style of singing where there's a song that just really rocks your boat, um, you, uh, one can be moved by amazing music making and singing Yes. in many, many styles, all the styles. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Affecting, affecting. Yeah. Yeah. The um it's pretty fabulous to yeah, when I was think in, about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had an amazing undergrad flute teacher who was a well, she she had a lot of really cool interests in music and out of music, but in teaching Baroque stuff, she would talk about the affections, the uh, doctrine of the affections and um, the idea uh, and some of the ways of making a piece come alive according to a certain affection were um, very stylized, you know, like there'd be a French Baroque flute piece that would use certain kinds of musical motives and stuff to make that happen. Um, but there was always the sort of intangible overall effect of a piece mm. that was implied in all of that, which, you know, that that was the value, like right. across the European uh, music of the time. It radiated out of Italy to other places, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm. <laughs> that idea in the in the classical field, anyway. Um, so power... It's important, but we should think about bigness of spirit more than bigness of tone. That's amazeballs. I'm I'm really going to be cogitating on that. Yeah. How do we get our students to have big spirits? Yeah. Instead of big voices. That's yes. A big one. We mm-hmm. will put that a, a reference to that book by Zay in the notes. Oh yeah. Uh, actually, all the books we mentioned today should go in there. And uh, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a terrific angle. I've really dug books in general about singing that touch a lot on uh, the psyche or yeah. psychology right. or philosophy, emotions, yeah. philosophy. I'm looking here through my my list of uh, of books I have on PDF. Uh, for our dear audience, there's a lot of wonderful books on singing that 
have gone out of copyright and are available as PDFs. Um, you know, we have things like Lun, the philosophy of voice, right. and uh, Taylor, the psychology of singing. Mm. These are old books, but they, but they they have amazing uh, truth bombs scattered yeah. throughout. Yeah. yeah, and it's a capturing of a cultural moment and what these authors valued, right? Yeah. I, I mean, what, the, yeah. Wasn't, what was important to them? Right. Yeah. You know, boy, this whole power thing, I mean, I'm just thinking of all kinds of branches off off of this that we could <laughs> continue Stay to tuned talk for part about. part two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, just on the sheer physical decibel level. Right. If a song is mostly quiet but has one outburst, that can be incredibly powerful without being hugely loud right. just by its relative strength to the other parts. You know, it's relative... Well, and I also think about people who use Fine. power in their singing in a way that keeps the audience from them rather than draws them to them. Mm. Right? It's mm-hmm. a way of keeping people a, a, away from you. Right? I think about roaring animals. It's like, oh, oh I'm, a, I'm intimidated by you. Yeah, yeah. Right? <clears throat> sort of demanding respect. I mean, that's... Exactly. Yeah, that's putting up a, a separation. I want you, you know, to admire me behind my fence. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Hide behind the big voice. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Bigness of spirit, not bigness of voice. Although the bigger the spirit gets, the bigger the voice will get. How about that? Yeah. Yeah, that I I can't imagine that's not true. And, you know, sort of boy, I don't know all my I got to remember my terms about obverse, converse, opposite, whatever. But also, as a singer, builds skill, especially when they're young. Yeah, you can see that spirit bloom and come alive yes. and and flower, and and nurture it and cultivate it. Yeah, because I, I keep thinking about my wonderful teachers that they did that too. You know, mm-hmm. my teachers that I had growing up, they inculcate, inculcated that sense of wonder, that sense of wonder. Yeah. About things. Yeah. Like you were saying earlier about being excited about something, demonstrating Mm -hmm. excitement, Mm -hmm. showing that you can be in wonderment about something. Yeah. Isn't this great? Isn't this wonderful? Yeah. And, and getting people to sort of get on board with, with that. Very cool. Fantabulous. I'm into it. Well, thanks, Justin. This was a great, this was Justin's suggestion and fabulous one at that. I really... We could go even deeper. I mean, actually, we just scratched the surface of this, but. And perhaps we will. Ah, I'm always scratching something. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's a bye for now for me. Are you good? I'm good. Okay. Till later, guys. Toodles. Thanks for joining us today on the Voice Culture Podcast. For more information, connect with us on our website, thevoiceculture.com.